stuff. Swimming, 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 swimming around in my soup. Welcome to episode 144 of the Good Stuff Kids podcast. I'm your host, Mike Mason, and this is the show where I get to know the creators of certified and bona fide good stuff for kids and families. And on today's show, I traveled to Berkeley, California, and I hung out with Gunnar Madsen at his house, and we talked all about his career and his brand new record, I Am Your Food. There is no doubt in my mind that you loved what you just heard. It's called In My Soup. It's a small clip of the song. And if you stay tuned all the way to the very end, you can hear the whole song, In My Soup, by Gunnar Madsen from his new album, I Am Your Food, in its entirety. And it is just a sample of like the very creative, very witty stuff that Gunnar has put into this new record. And we got into it a little bit. We talked about what it was like to make the record, some of his past experiences, all of the things that I love to do when talking to someone from the Good Stuff Kids podcast. And what made this really special was Gunnar and I were sitting together in his house and I made friends with his dog. And that's always a good thing because sometimes, you know, I was yesterday, for example, I was at a restaurant and a dog growled and barked at me. Well, I think I'm a very nice person and I like lots of kids like me, you know, uh, but this particular dog didn't. And I, Gunner was, I think, a little concerned that, that he, me and his dog were not going to totally hit it off, but uh, we were fine. We were great. So uh, that's what we call a digression in the biz, folks. Anyhow, you're going to love this conversation with Gunner. You're going to love his music. It's very clever. It's very interesting. It, it sort of plays with you a little bit in like the best possible ways, and your kids are going to love it. And this album's all about food in many different ways. So take a listen. And of course, if you need to reach me, you can email me at mike at goodstuffpod.com, or you can find me at social media, the at symbol, goodstuffpod. I just hit over 400 followers on Instagram, which feels like a moderately decent sized deal. And I want to shout out to my best college buddy, college roommate, John, who just had his first baby just a couple of days ago. Welcome to the world, Ford. We're glad you're here. So with that out of the way, I want to, oh, and Chelsea, congratulations to you as well. I mean, congratulations to the whole family, right? It's a, it's a beautiful thing, and we're very happy for you. And now let's hear it from Gunnar Madsen. So it's uh, it's awesome to welcome Gunnar Madsen to the Good Stuff Kids podcast. How are you, Gunnar? I'm I'm all right, thank you. Very good. It's yeah. uh, thanks for inviting me to your home. First of all, it's very nice to be here. It's a pleasant, not too hot afternoon in Berkeley. Can you sort of set the scene? Like, where is there like a, a region in Berkeley that we're near? Well, this particular neighborhood is called Ocean View, and it was the very first neighborhood in Berkeley. It was established when uh, a guy named Jacob built a wharf. It was called Jacob's Wharf to get uh, farm produce from here to San Francisco. This is like 19, 1853, so just after the 49ers. And so people were growing vegetables here and sending them across the bay. He built that, and then uh, around, 
after a few years, it became known as Ocean View. It was apparently very rough and tumble, lots of drinking and all, you know, <clears throat> uh, upset about the youth and how are they going to grow up in this wild area. And then the university got uh, founded 20, whatever, 20 years later, and the city and the university kind of came together. At one point, Oakland was going to just say, you're part of Oakland now, and, and they both said, no, we're going to be our own city. So then Berkeley was founded. Wow. So you you know about where you live. That's a good it's thing. It's really fun to hear about the history from uh -huh. the Ohlone Indians, who, of course, were here originally, to the early settlers, and then uh, how it just uh, developed from there. Yeah. There's a lot. History is lovely. History is lovely. And you mentioned growing vegetables and sending them across the bay. And we're going to get to vegetables and food in a little while, but not quite. We got some, we got a little bit of ground to cover before Would we Would you get like there. a carrot? I love carrots, but I'm okay for now. Crunching <laughs> on podcasts, you know, it'll be a crunchy cast. Um, so tell us a little bit about your, your background, you know, as a musician and, and what you've done. I know you've got three, now four kids and family records, but there's other stuff too. So just tell us a little bit about where you're coming from. Yeah. Well, I loved... Up until the age of eight, music was just something. I didn't really know much about it. And then uh, when I was eight, the Beatles arrived on the scene, and I saw them on the Ed Sullivan show, and I just it clicked. That was like the most exciting thing I'd ever seen. Like earlier, we were talking about baseball or yeah. something. Nothing really clicked for me. It was life was fine, but and when I saw the Beatles, it was like ah, I saved up all my money and and spent it on Beatles albums and. Um, they just inspire me. And then after a couple of years, I, I, my parents gave me a, a AM radio, and I would listen to it every night. And the Summer of Love came along, and all this new music and stuff, and I was there listening to it. And um, that was the, the main thing in my youth and uh, teenage years, too. But I didn't play music, really. I just loved it. Mm -hmm. And uh, around the age of 15, yeah, my sister had a guitar. And she also had a, a Joan Baez songbook, just all these old yeah. classic folk songs, which I wasn't that interested in. But she went away for the summer, as it worked as a nanny, and left her guitar behind. And I picked it up and started to figure out how to play things. And um, that got me into music in a way. Mm. You know, in, in school sometimes they have like a band or something. And yeah, I played the trumpet for six months and I'd sung in a choir. It, nothing clicked, but playing the guitar by myself and teaching myself was my key to music. And then I took the guitar to the piano and figured out the piano worked the same way. There's chords mm -hmm. and things. And um, so I was self-taught for a couple of years. And then my mother gave me piano lessons when I was 17. And I, uh, there's a local teacher in the neighborhood who taught classical. And I studied piano like every day for four hours. I just played nothing uh. but that. Uh, out of sheer joy, like that's why you played. Yeah. yeah, and and I was I wasn't sure if I was going to co go to college, and I didn't think I could get in as a music major anyway, because I I even I hadn't had a year of lessons yet. So I applied to Berkeley, where if you don't get to do what you want to do, there's a million other things to do. Uh -huh. But they let me into the music department, and so I studied music for like five years, uh, mainly classical, some jazz, and uh, really enjoyed it. And then when I graduated, had no idea what to do and just fell into a variety of different things. Mm -hmm. One was writing for theater groups. One professor introduced me to a director that needed someone to do music for a play. And so uh, I never even thought 
I didn't even know that was something people right. did, really. Yeah. You know, so that thing was going on, and then I got a job delivering singing telegrams, which uh, was really fun. And I wasn't much of a performer before then, but that bit me with the performer bug because you go to any situation. It could be a, a huge party, or it could be an office, or it could be someone's home, and you just uh, you ha- you sing a song to them. You have to walk in there. Just like, walk in. Here I am. If they're shy, you're very gentle with them. If they're boisterous and perhaps a little drunk, you have to grab their attention. <laughs> so uh, I really enjoyed that uh-huh. and did that for a couple of years. And then I saw something, an acapella group opening for a local comedy act at a nightclub. And I went, that looks like fun. Uh-huh. Spur of the moment, just said, I want to do that. And you had never done acapella before? No, not You know, it's nothing I'd thought of. Right. So it's not like I had a, a laser-like vision of where I was headed. Sure. But you were open to all experiences, it seems and like. I, and I really enjoyed all these things. Yeah. Like, so I got into doing music for theater, and it's still part of my life now. I, I did an uh, off-Broadway musical uh, a few years ago. And uh, these things keep coming up, and I don't chase them. Mm-hmm. But the, when the opportunities arise, I'm... I'm always excited about it. So you don't get overwhelmed by, oh, I've never done this before. Rather, you see it as like, oh, I've never done this before. This could be really cool. Yes. Uh-huh. Yes. That's, that, that's an important lesson, kids out there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And so this acapella idea, it ended up being very successful. We were just goofing around. We would sing in the afternoon. Then we'd go to an open mic somewhere. And uh, it really kind of uh, took off. And some uh, a local record company said, you guys want to put out a record? That was a dream come true. That's cool. It was like, I felt like I was in the Beatles. That's with my acapella group. It was called The Bobs. Uh-huh. If anyone wants to look it up, it's, it's a part of history. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh-huh. Um, can you just, just in case people don't know, I mean, you and I are talking about it because we know what acapella is like very easily. Oh, yeah. So just like a brief explanation in case someone doesn't know what acapella is. Acapella is, is just uh, voices only, singing without instruments. Mm-hmm. And that could... Choir music would be acapella music, but acapella is usually more um, small, like uh, four to eight voices or something mm-hmm. is usually what people think of when they think of acapella. Mm-hmm. Got it. So, uh, yeah, we were a four-member acapella group, and we did rock and roll. Cool. So we tried to make all the sounds without uh, a band and all mm-hmm. that stuff. And before the era of like beatboxing and things like that. Yes. Yeah. 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 Cool. So we were... It was... Kind of cutting edge at the time. Well, I think it was definitely. Was it? Was it song? Was it cover songs like songs that other people? Are, a few are originals, um, but mostly originals. We ended up doing. That's impressive. Like arranging all that stuff. Was, yeah. Was that where? Was that your job in in the group? Me and our bass singer was also a, a really talented musician, and we wrote the songs together and arranged them together. Uh-huh. So wow, that's so fun. What was the? Uh, what was? The, what was your favorite song that you all did? If you if you can, if you can bring that up. Yeah. Um, the favorite song I ever wrote was a song called Helmet. Uh-huh. And uh, the melody came to me while... Sometimes, you know, I work at the piano sure. and work things out. This came when I was hiking up in the hills above Berkeley. And it was just this great melody that was... I hadn't had to work on it. just came. Mm-hmm. And I went, that's great. And when I thought of the words... Um, lyrics are usually hard for me. Mm-hmm. Um, they don't come as easily as the music. But this... It, I had the concept that it was about someone that wore a helmet for protection, and yet that protection allowed them to be really 
at ease and, and at peace. So rather than, you know, if you wear armor, that can sometimes sound like you're protecting yourself too much and you're not open to things. Mm -hmm. But this was a guy who got the idea that if I wear a helmet all the time, and if only everyone would do this, we would all be so much gentler and nicer people because you feel protected. Huh. Yeah. And, um, and it worked. I just love that song. It's my favorite one that we, we ever wrote. Um, and the song we performed most was a song by the Talking Heads called Psycho Killer. <laughs> I may have performed that 2,000 times or something. We closed almost every show uh, with it because it just worked. Oh, it's so fun. It's right? really fun. Yeah. It's, um, it's a very emotional song. Uh -huh. uh, it's about a guy who's just worked up and tense. Yeah. Very opposite of the guy in the helmet song. Um, but because we were also com a bit of a comedy group, when I... Uh, when we got to the end of the song, I let it all out and yeah. became a lounge singer, basically doing <laughs> it, which took all the the angst out of it. Yeah, sure. But so I got to get to this place of angst and kind of like just buzzed yeah. tension, and then let it go, uh -huh. and uh, and it worked for the audience too, I think. So, yeah, but I loved. I never got tired of singing that. Really? Yeah. Good. The words are, uh, you know, not happy, <laughs> but. That's the thing about lyrics. Sometimes they're kind of amorphous and mm -hmm. you, don't, you don't know what's really going on there. Sure. But I think the essence of that song was warm, even though it was tense. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's, I mean, just side note to, to music lovers talking about music is lyrics are often open to interpretation, you know, and, and what the, you, the artist, puts forth might be received completely differently by the audience. And I think it's like, where are you when you're listening to it? What mood are you in? What are you hoping to get from it? And I think being open to that is like, the artist is really important. Because if someone were to come to you, or David Byrne, <laughs> and say, you know, and say, hey, here's what I get from the song. And he's like, well, no, this is what it is. And you're wrong. Like, then you're shutting off someone's, you're shutting down someone's understanding of of the art, essentially. I don't know. This is like way deep. I don't know. <laughs> no, I, I hear you and I, and I totally agree. And it's, to me, I mean, take any of my favorite songs, like The Weight by the band. Mm -hmm. I have, I still am not tired of that. Mm -hmm. And it's played all the time. Mm -hmm. But it comes on in a supermarket or something. And I'm like, that one. Uh -huh. And I don't know what the words mean. <laughs> <laughs> and I've and I've looked up, you know, online you can look yeah. it up and someone will, you know, dissect it like Shakespeare or something. Yeah, right. It's about this and this and this. And when they wrote it, they were thinking about this person. And it's like none of that helps me understand it more. All I know is I hear that song and the the emotion of the words just affects me deeply. Mm -hmm. And it's a, it's there's a sadness to it, but also a friendliness to it. And it just it hits me right there. But I couldn't tell you what it's about. Right. Yeah, that's it, that's an example of one that just hits in the right... Whatever the spots are, it hits in, in the right spots. Um, so you you covered a lot of the, the stuff that I had sort of locked in on in terms of your backstory, you know, being in, in acapella and singing telegrams. You've been commissioned to do a few things, right, at Lincoln Center and for NPR. So I guess as an artist and and wanting to come at it from like authentic places does it change your stuff your writing style or the way that you go about it if someone comes to you and says here's x amount of whatever pizzas or whatever it is that you get and we we want you to write a song about 
I don't know, for one of these things. How, does that change? How do you get into that mode, I guess? Ah, uh, when it's a commission link? Yeah, yeah. Well, let's take like two examples. Okay. I'm going to put my dog down here. So. <laughs> He's been sitting on my lap. Um, like writing commercial for commercials. Sure. And we, we did that a few times. And sometimes it was so difficult. Usually I love a commission because it, it's, again, that opening. Like uh-huh. say yes to it and, yeah. and it's a new adventure. But sometimes the strictures are so weird. Like we, the National Beef Council <laughs> hired us to write a jingle for them. Okay. And, uh, but they wanted us to use Beethoven's Ninth. But they said we want it to feel light and, and because beef is a heavy thing, yeah, we want so it to heavy. feel light. And we went, but you want Beethoven's Ninth. And uh, God, we struggled with that one. And sure. I, you know, what we came up with was, what was it? Shout it from the highest rooftops. Um, yeah, swing it from the chandelier. Beef is lighter than you're thinking. Here's good news about the steer. <laughs> that- it's genius. <laughs> they didn't like it. Oh, no. Uh, That's so uh, funny. They said, can't you make it lighter? And it's like, look, you're talking Beethoven's Ninth. It's a clunky thing on yeah. every downbeat, and which is a great melody. Yeah. And I'm not dissing Beethoven. No, it's yeah. just getting beef to sound light with that melody is like, huh. Anyway, so that kind of challenge was hard. But usually, um, it's liberating when someone says, hey, I have like this this play mm-hmm. um, like the the um, musical that I, I co-wrote um, uh, the writer the book writer came to me and said here's this story about this family um, it's called the Sh- they were called the shags it's a real-life story and they grew up in uh, New Hampshire small-town New Hampshire in the 60s and they had no interest or knowledge of music but their dad thought that they could become big pop stars like you know, the Beach Boys sure. or something, but it would be an all-girls group. And he took them out of school and had them homeschooled by the mother and forced them to practice and mortgaged his house and used the money to put out an album that went nowhere. And the whole thing was so difficult. And their album is, is well, it's called a landmark. Okay. <laughs> Okay, that could mean a lot of different things. Yes, <laughs> this landmark was a. Um, it's considered the worst music of all time by some people, and by others, it, they, it's considered genius, like uh, from outer space okay. or something. Sure. So she had an idea. Can we write a musical about this? And at first, I just went, "Why would you write a musical about bad music? Give me a break." And I listened to the record, and I don't like it. Uh-huh. And it's it could be some of the worst of all time, wow. in my opinion. Uh-huh. But the story was so interesting, I went, well, wait a second. And the challenge of trying to figure out where would the music come from then? And, and uh, the answer, which is true for most musicals, is that when someone sings, it's an expression of their inner hopes and dreams and their inner life. So when the girls sing, they actually sing a beautiful song about what they're hoping to, to achieve or, or what their life's going to be like and that kind of thing. Um, and then when they get in the studio and they hope that their songs are going to sound beautiful, they, they don't. And that's the reveal for the audience. It's like, no, they didn't succeed. Uh. But we ended up leading the audience to think, this, this might work. Yeah. Maybe. Yeah. Maybe there are Jackson 5. And, uh, 
<laughs> no, no spoilers. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but um, that challenge was great. Yeah. And uh, so sometimes it's, it's um, difficult, but especially, well, that's the other thing. Because this is an artistic ask, then there's a lot of freedom. Uh-huh. When it's a commercial ask, uh, there's pressure. Because um, you gotta, you got to keep people happy. Yes, you're selling something. Yeah. So that was always a difficult thing for me when any ad, even the ones that were more successful, it was like, that's okay, but it felt hard because there's always, uh, there's all these people from the Pepsi company and then their producer and then their artistic director and everyone's saying, eh, it's good, but yeah. all that stuff. Yeah. Whereas when I work on this musical, it's just me and the artist yeah. working together and then we take it to a production company and there's going to be a director and it will have to change but that's all everyone working um, collaboratively right right so interesting yeah. okay so so obviously like a, a wide variety a wide breadth of experience in the music industry from from commercials acapella singing telegrams uh, scoring musicals and you also have this other side well, actually, their other side, right? Because you've had you've put out some records for adults, I guess we could say in quotes. But I think now is the time where we get into what drew you to music for families. Um, and so you you just have released your fourth album, if I'm not mistaken, for kids and families called "I Am Your Food," and we're gonna get to that short in short order, no <laughs> doubt. Um, but how how did you find yourself in the in the kids and family space? So, like, what drew you to that? That. So, back when I was in the Bobs, and this is in the 80s, um, our group was very popular with younger kids, and families would come see us, because we were funny, but also very... Uh, um, um, this is Words fail me. Our skill set was so advanced. <laughs> These are the words that just came out. It was like uh, we were very skilled at singing. Yeah. So there was like a lot to enjoy musically. Uh-huh. But the humor, I think, allowed, you know, so there are always little kids there. And uh, the Bob's records were popular with whole families. Uh-huh. And this is something that when I was little, before the Beatles, my parents had like Smothers Brothers records or some other groups from the late 50s, early 60s that were music Musical with humor. comedy, yeah. And it was something the whole family could enjoy yeah. together. And I thought, this is kind of cool. At the same time, Richard, my uh, co- co-writer in the Bobs, he knew this woman that did children's music, and it, it seemed like maybe we could break into the children's market as another thing. So you're writing the sure. Bobs stuff, and we're doing commercials, and how about children's stuff? So we got together with a few other people and did a demo tape of uh, children's songs and it um, it didn't end up going anywhere okay except <laughs> that demo tape landed on the desk of a publisher one of the songs was Old Mr. Mackelhackle uh-huh. and uh, which was the name of my first album so that song ended up on a book publisher's desk and she loved it and she wrote she uh, called me up and said have you ever thought about writing a book and I said no I haven't <laughs> But as I've said, I love saying yes yeah, say to new yes. things. Right, exactly. And she says, I could, I could help you learn. And I said, okay. And she says, here's some books to read about it. Went, okay, let's do it. So um, I, I got started writing this children's book. And it was just about done when she left her job and the new publisher that came in didn't like it and it was shelved. Oh. 
but that gave me just enough taste of, of um, the children's market. Now that I'd studied it a little, you know, yeah. read about it, I went, huh. And I just thought, let me write some other songs. And I did, and I put out a cassette of songs while I was still on the Bobs for kids. And it sold like hotcakes, I, like a thousand cassettes just at gigs and mail order kind of stuff. It's awesome. And it was like, people like this, and yeah. I liked it. Yeah. It felt... Um, it felt like I was finally doing something that I dreamt of. I, maybe I dreamt of being in the Smothers Brothers when I was little, but I never realized it. But uh -huh. it's like, this is kind of full circle. Yeah. It's not the Beatles, but this is something that I really, really enjoy. Uh -huh. it, was, it was easy for me to do, like I, uh, um, comfortable, uh -huh. very comfortable. So just... After I left the Bobs, I put out first an album, an adult album of, of pop music, rock music, and then and also from a commission, an album of waltzes. Oh. Um, I love commissions. Yeah. So these, <laughs> and they were doing well. And then I went, well, what's next? I should probably do. And I went, I'm going to do a children's album. Mm -hmm. So that's just what popped into my head, and uh, that was old Mr. Macklehackle, and it did well. And I thought, well, let me do another, and I just kind of kept going and it's just part of my repertoire now of right. writing fun songs that the family can enjoy yeah um awesome so this this record um i am your food it's it's the first record in a while right like yes several years uh probably 10 years 10 years okay so um it's great like it sounds great it's i mean i have quite you know hearing about where you're coming from and, and meeting you. And uh, I just, uh, the first question that comes to mind, and it's not necessarily about the record, but it's about your style, is um, you're very soft. Like, I'm enjoying talking to you. You're soft spoken, like you're, you know, calm. Just for those of you who can't see what I'm seeing, right? <laughs> very calm, very like thoughtful. And then I listen to, to some of the record, and, and it's the use of voice. Like it's like a different voice, you know. It's like coming from here, and you know, and and uh, do you feel? I guess the question then is, and I think you may have alluded to this, is just like, what's the difference in freedom that you feel when you're making a record for families and just being able to be like, well, Smothers Brothers influence, which I, I like to watch the Smothers growing up, um, and are, so do you consciously change your change your voice, change like the energy that you're projecting for these records? Oh wow! Boom! I, it took me a while to get it out, but I think no, I no, got no, it. no! It's um, it's an exciting question, and I was thinking about this before you came over, not knowing what. <laughs> I've never met you, uh -huh. so you know, how's this interview going to go? I don't know. Um. Okay, so the voice. A, a few things. One is. I, you know, so I grew up wanting to be the Beatles or something. Mm -hmm. Well, the thing is, I never loved the sound of my own voice. And when it comes to writing songs, I don't know how to write songs that are just down, down the middle, like a love song or something. Um, I, I've probably written a couple, but I, I don't know how to get there. And so I fought against that for a while and have tried writing down the middle. Um, but I have reached a level of comfort with myself knowing that I guess that's not me. I'm never going to be, say, James Taylor. 
where it's just so wonderful how it sounds like he's singing to you. Yeah. And his voice is so pleasant and so direct and so there. It's like, wow. So I love that. And I probably will continue to strive towards that whenever I can because that's a beautiful thing. But to also realize that I get a blast when I get to just experiment with my voice and enter a character. And going back to the Beatles, that is something they did too. Mm -hmm. um, apparently John Lennon didn't like the sound of his own voice. And so you hear him uh, doing silly voices sometimes mm -hmm. or uh, changing it. And it's like, oh. And then of course they did silly songs like um, Yellow Submarine. Right. And all those things like, there's a money down off the server. Yeah. You know, I don't, I've never understood what they say. But. <laughs> I think that's the point. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But, you know, they're making up all these silly voices, and it's like they gave themselves room to do that. Yeah. Not many pop groups uh, have that uh, license because they're not as famous, of course. Sure. So, you know, if you were a famous pop group right now, you'd want to say, this is working. Let's keep doing it. It's paying the bills. Yeah. Um, bills who cares so <laughs> so when I get into the studio and I love the studio by the way a microphone is not a killer for me uh -huh. I it's freedom I that's, love it that's great so when I get in front of the microphone it's like what um what is this and my my own voice suffices for many songs um so I don't hide it or anything yeah but uh say the title track on this song I am your food is your food talking to you basically your food speaking and I went, I had the melody and I had the basic idea of the lyrics and was starting to play with who sings it. And I tried it on my voice. And it's like, that doesn't sound like food. And I tried, you know, a variety of voices and couldn't find it. It was like, what would food sound like? And then I, it, I placed the voice down on my stomach. I went, oh, in your stomach. Yeah. And then I thought, oh, and that's kind of like uh, Tom Waits. Yeah. Um, I don't know that he thinks about his stomach when he's singing. <laughs> Maybe let's hope he does. <laughs> and and that's not the voice he grew up with. Right. That's something he learned and put on. But it is now his voice. It's an authentic voice, um, which is another lesson to learn. Like, look, you may feel a little uncomfortable or like it's a put on, but maybe it's not. Hmm. You know. So I put on that voice for just that song. Yeah. And I'm not directly mimicking Tom Waits, but I he was in on my shoulder, you know, helping me get there. But it's more just about what does food sound like. So, if I'm a tamale, you're a tamale. <laughs> Almost a Muppet voice, too. Uh -huh. So, and Muppets are lovable. Sure. So, those are put on voices. Frank Oz is doing all kinds of crazy voices. But what makes it work is you believe it somehow, too. Yeah. So, thank you. I know that was like a little... Potentially off the wall, but I just no, I'm glad no, to hear it's the, a the it's a great question, cool. and um, yeah, nice. I appreciate it. So, so I, I think it's important to to sort of get to the root, no pun intended, of of where this album comes from. I am your food. So there's there's lots of different songs, and and a lot of them like it's not what you expect in a lot of ways lyrically, which is really fun. Um, but what is what is it that uh, sort of led you to an album about food? Boy. I do love food. I mean, it's... Um, hmm. Well, 
For people that don't know, Berkeley is uh, considered one of the epicenters of food culture. Mm -hmm. And when I was when I first moved here in 1974, is when the gourmet ghetto in Berkeley uh, was bubbling with the restaurant Chez Panisse and uh, and various uh, a chocolatier and homemade. I mean, uh, custom-made chocolates. Nothing had like that had existed before, so, and it was perfect. all happening. Yeah. And um, and Chez Panisse was into uh, getting local farmers and their produce and stuff. And all of this is part of where I, I live here, where it's just you... Uh, I know so many farmers around the area because I go to the, um, the farmer's markets and you talk to them and you get raw milk from the guy in Santa Rosa and he says, I just slaughtered a pig. Do you want the best pork chop? And it's like, yes, because I know that pig <laughs> has been treated well. Uh -huh. um, uh, I mean, it has a name, right? Yeah. He's 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 grown it since it's a piglet, and this is really good food, and it's amazingly delicious too. So, um, you know, all the fruit on my table here—it's all local and organic, and it's like, wow! In my yard, I've got Berkeley's a little cold to grow a lot of things, but limes, lemons, figs—the mm -hmm. stuff here that's just like. When I need limes, I go out in the garden and get it, and fresh herbs, all yeah. that stuff. So, mm, I love to cook. So, <laughs> so I, I, why songs, though, huh? That is, okay, how do we tie that together? Is there a conscious thought? I haven't tried to answer this before, so. Okay. Which makes it a very good question. Yes, it was. It was a really personal decision to uh, try to write songs about food. It, um, I wasn't even sure that this was going to be a children's record, and arguably it's not, it's, but it's, it's appropriate for families, right. definitely. Um, I wasn't going to be writing, you know, F-bomb food or anything. <laughs> that's, that's not where I was headed. That's the, that's the next album. <laughs> <laughs> But I think, so my son is now 15, and I've been working on this album for like 10 years, just on and off, not yeah. steadily. But uh, it's like, I want to do another family album, what would it be? And, and I remember I have a list of things from like 10 years ago, of things I wanted to do that was very, uh, none of them has been accomplished except for this. Because <laughs> uh -huh. being a, a stay-at-home dad has ended up being extremely... Uh, Demanding, yeah, in the best way. I got no problem with the demands, but it made music take a back seat. Sure. A lot of my projects take a back seat. But I kept on coming back to just thinking about these songs, and some of them took years, like the one called 10,000 Pancakes. I was, uh, my son was attending a, a, a physical therapy sessions, and I would just take a walk for an hour. And this phrase kept coming in my head of 10,000 Pancakes. I'm like, that's got to be a song. But I, it took years and many tries before I finally went, oh, that's what it could be about. And oh, that's the music. Uh -huh. um, before it would focus itself, it took a long time. And meanwhile, I'm going, I have other food songs. They just were coming to me. So it wasn't so much a, a conscious decision of here's my next thing, but it was like, 
they were coming to me and I had the idea that a new album should be focused on something maybe yeah maybe sure. not and and it just it was like a centrifugal no centrifugal force or a gravitational force something that pulled sure. things together centrifugal would be throwing them all away right, right. The gravitational would be yeah yeah <laughs> yeah, we, yeah we're so all, we're scientists so obviously like no problem so right. things would be pulling <laughs> pulling together yeah. in, in this uh, like supernova and it's like oh it's getting more and more condensed and yeah this is gonna work the last two years has been much more focused about I need more songs. Yeah. What other what other subjects of food? And then others have come like kinda of like that. Yeah. So you you worked with some some big names on this one, like Justin Roberts and, and Francis England, local local hero just across the water. Um, so what was it like to 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 sort of share this music with them and, and, and work with them? It's lovely. I mean I've known all of them for quite a few years now and um, well yeah I mean I've been a member of the overall children's music community for since when was Mackle Hackle 99 uh-huh. uh, anyway long, long time a couple years yeah uh-huh. and um, and it was actually my publicist said you know this is I played her the tracks I had so far and, and uh, try to plan what the album should, uh, what needed to fill out. And she says, be great. Why don't you get some of your friends to join in? I went, ooh, yes. Justin has been such a wonderful um, friend and, uh, and help to me, too. He really helped me get some great gigs in Chicago. Uh-huh. And, uh, uh, yeah. And then we'd hang out and listen to jazz records late into the night <laughs> and stuff. Um, and Francis, I just met at different uh, events here in the Bay Area. And, uh, and Bill Harley, we'd uh, communicated first by email, and then we met here, had him over for dinner one night, I think. And uh-huh. So, and then working with each of them was different. We never actually met here. Uh-huh. It was a, a national, a nationwide recording process. Yes, uh-huh. so I had, um, I had a song already done called City of Sardines, um, which was inspired by a visit to a Japanese restaurant in... Uh, that we visited in Japan. Uh-huh. The restaurant served nothing but sardines. Sardine bones, sardine soup, sardine salad, sardine Pepsi, I forget. I mean, it was crazy. <laughs> and it was delicious. Uh-huh. So uh, it inspired me to write a song about uh, this sweet um, rain, like a monsoon of sardines falling from the sky and solving the problems of a village's hunger. And I had it kind of finished, but I wanted, uh, I thought Francis could maybe sing the lead on it or something and I sent it to her and she says I know what I want to do and she just did it and then she sent it back to me and I edited it and, and put it together it was it, she just lifted the song I mean it was already good and then it was like ah yeah no I, I particularly love that one that was like right in my wheelhouse and what you know you saying that you, you've never been like a down the middle songwriter but you know just experimenting with it and, and taking the form. I, I like picked up on that right away on that one. I'm, for those of you listening, go listen to it. It's excellent. Um, <laughs> cool. And so those, those collaborations are, are important and you know, well-known. But I think the one that I'd like to hear a little bit more about is you had a special collaborator on the song Shelf Life, uh, a different kind of like uh, maybe a producer type. So tell me a little bit about that one. Okay, well, my son, Quinn, is 15 now, and uh, 
I, you know, I've been a, a musician his whole life. He never seemed very interested in it. And I remember taking him to, uh, I took him to see Dan Zanes at San, in San Francisco one time when he was six, maybe six or seven or something. And he liked it okay. And, uh, but he didn't seem to love it. And I went, yeah, okay. But we went to meet Dan Zanes afterwards because I'd met him before yeah. and stuff. And, and Dan said, hey, you know, we're doing a couple shows tomorrow. Do you want to come sing a song with us? And I said, well, I, it'd be up to my son here. And, and he said, yes. Uh-huh. I went, that's okay with you? So we went back the next day. And, uh, and I thought, he's going to love this, be up on stage. I mean, it's a pretty big stage and lights. And Dan Zanes has a whole band with a drummer. And everything's all kind of... So for the, um, uh, the sound check, I put Quinn next to the drums. And uh, I thought, now, if this should rock his boat, <laughs> it would have rocked my boat. Yeah, yeah. He just wanted to draw the whole time. He didn't even look at the drummer. He was just drawing his pictures. He was really into drawing things. He drew a picture for Dan. And that was it. And I went, Wow. I mean, he doesn't have to follow my footsteps. Sure. I'm not concerned with that at all. But it was just like, well, if he doesn't like that, then, you know, no, no sense uh, right. forcing no, this no, issue. Yeah, no sense enforcing the issue. Well, it was like a few years later, um, he got his hand on GarageBand at a uh, summer camp. Okay. And he just made kind of soundscapes. They, you know, there was no sense of burgeoning genius of Mozart going on here. It was just messy sounds and drum loops crashing into each other <laughs> but he was really enjoying it it's like well that's cool and then uh, like a, he, he took that home and started working in garage band at home working with the loops and then he came to me um, after six months or so and said hey I want to write my own songs I said sure he says but I don't know how to write them so here and he would sing them to me it turned out he has perfect pitch absolute pitch because he, he'd sing it, and I'd go, okay, and he'd, I'd look for it on the page. He says, that's a D. And i go, whoa. And it, it is. And so he would sing me the, what he wanted me to play on the guitar or whatever, and, uh, and then I would play it, and then he'd say, that's right. And then and the songs took like just half an hour to do. Get a drum track going, play the guitar, put some bass on it, and then he would sing, and he would just make up his lyrics. They were he was brilliant. He was like a, a punk. Yeah. Uh, he was, must have been 10 or so at the time, 10 or 11. A punk singer. Just... <laughs> and, and singing about whatever was on his mind. It was yeah. um, like all great songwriters. It was uh, not clear exactly what it's uh-huh. about, but it was good. Uh-huh. <laughs> so we. this was very enjoyable. For like a yeah. year or something, I was his... Uh, he would just sing me things and I would transcribe them. Then he... You know, each each of these years, of course, he's growing he's up. So now out, it's yeah. like at age twelve, he says, "No, I don't. I don't want to work with my dad anymore. I'm, <laughs> I'm going to figure this out." And he did. He, in Garage Band, he started to figure out um, what the notes were himself, and he started to compose within the computer. And I was like, "Check this out. He's really writing melodies yeah. and doing it all." So he went from that to dubstep, and then Garage Band wasn't good enough. He needed Logic Pro and Anyway, he just kept growing and growing as a producer. So uh, it was dubstep, but now it's hip-hop the last year and a half. And uh, he's really got an ear for this stuff. And watching him, so like, um, 
I'm not calcified, I'm not stuck in my ways, but I think, you know, well, a, com a compressor should do this, and, uh, and the notes should harmonize in a certain, you know, I've got yeah. ways of thinking about it, the rules that I grew up with. He's not constrained by any of that. He's like, you know, notes, any notes can go together, and why not put seven compressors on it? And it's like, you, you know, I'm, part of me says, <laughs> you don't do that. That's not what they're for. Son, this is not how we do things here. <laughs> but he puts seven compressors on some, and it sounds crazy wild and great. Uh -huh. So I worked out this song, Shelf Life, and I had, uh, you know, something that was approximating a kind of a hip-hop break in it. And I said, I need your help. And he said, sure. So he came in and says, oh, yeah, well, okay. First, kick drum, <laughs> cut that, cut it shorter. I said, shorter, 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 shorter. Yeah, just that. I went, oh, wow. And he says, and why don't you just, you know, add a delay to this? And it's like, oh, it's things that if I took a lot of time, I could figure out. But he came in and just in a Bing, bang, 15 boom. minutes yeah. just said, do this and this and this. And then, uh, and got, you got to clean that up. It's so messy. And I was like, oh. <laughs> so he helped me bring that song out, out, of, um, out of the wool, kind of, and make it yeah, really clear. That's cool. It must have been so, uh, you, you are exhibiting a lot of, showing a lot of pride in, in that your son can come in and, and really make that difference. Like, that's a very cool thing to see when, when your kid, like, has this expertise, maybe in a similar area that, that, that you have. But like just, you know, different enough where you're like, this is not how we do it. But at least you're open to the idea of like, oh, but that sounds really cool what you did there. I'm I'm um, I'm proud of my own parenting skills and getting out of the way as much as I do. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I could yeah. do better at it. But and also just being the luck that um, I taught myself music. Mm -hmm. And so I know that you can learn an awful lot that way. And so, because I know that for myself, um, I'm happy to let him do it. And he doesn't want dad getting in the way. And it's like, right. that's fine, because right. you can go a long ways just teaching yourself yeah. something. Yeah. And then when you want help, you learn to ask for it. But that's a whole other skill. So. Yeah. Uh, well, I'm glad that uh, 10 years in the works that, that this record is here. Um, I think it's, it's very good, as I, as I said before. There's a lot of awesome stuff happening on it and I love I mean just hearing you say I, I'm sort of stuck on this like you've never been a down the middle songwriter and that like hearing that and knowing that makes me understand the record even more and enjoy it even more and like when I was listening to it this morning because I was doing my research I was like this is there's just like a lot going on here and to hear it from you has been uh really really fun really really cool so how can we how can we find you and keep up with you and are you on like Facebook or Twitter or Instagram or things like that or website that kind of thing? Yeah, definitely my website gunnermadson.com and um, yeah, that has links to the videos, the songs, the um, the sheet music, uh -huh. the lyrics, cool, all that stuff. Um, and yes, I have a channel on YouTube, Gunner Madsen Music, uh, Facebook, Gunner Madsen Music. Um, Instagram, I do have something there. <laughs> I, uh, We've all got something. <laughs> I've used it mainly for uh, family. I have uh -huh. some nephews who are bike racers. Oh, cool. And they're always all over the world racing bikes. And where are they? But if I look on Instagram, I can find them. Uh -huh. So I haven't quite figured it out yet. <laughs> I don't tweet. 
Uh-huh. I leave that to the birds. <laughs> uh, but anyway, yeah, YouTube, Facebook, yeah. and my website. And, and you have s- several videos coming out, if I'm not mistaken. Yes, okay. already there are um, five. Okay. Um, and uh, more in the works. Cool. All right. Well, Gunnar, it's been awesome talking to you. Thanks for having me over. Yeah, uh, thank enjoyed you. Enjoyed hearing all about what you do. Thanks. You're, uh, I, I enjoyed the interview very much. All right. Excellent. Gunnar and I covered a lot of ground there, huh? Not bad. Really, really fun. There's something really special about being able to do these, I would say interviews, but more like conversations, having these conversations face-to-face and and sort of being able to play off of each other, you know, body language is important, all those things. So it was really cool to talk to Gunnar in person. Um, check out his new record, I Am Your Food. And in just one little second, we're going to hear his whole song called In My Soup. And you're going to get a tremendous kick out of it. Uh, I'm recording this on, let's see, it is August the 8th. It's a Wednesday. This is going to come out tomorrow, the 9th. And on the 11th, the Good Stuff family is getting on a plane with one-way tickets to move to Houston and I'm going to spend the rest of the afternoon recording some episodes for next week to come out then and uh, I'll be a Texan when they come out so if you're in Houston let's go eat something show me what's delicious in Houston yeah Mike at goodstuffpod.com for email the at symbol goodstuffpod on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram let's be in touch, let's be friends here is In My Soup from the new record, I Am Your Food by Gunnar Madsen. Thanks a lot. Talk to you soon.
cured olives. So they were swimming, swimming, whoa. They were swimming, swimming, whoa. Swimming around in my soup. Swimming around in my soup. Swimming around in my soup. Swimming, 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 swimming,